Would you turn with me? Take your copy of God's Word, if you would. Turn with me to Matthew 5. For the sake of those who are joining us for the first time, we're taking our time this summer to walk slowly and deliberately through the Beatitudes of Christ. You may ask, what are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are the teachings of Christ and his disciples regarding what life looks like within the kingdom of God. Jesus' teaching here, therefore, is aimed at those who already have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's aimed to help inform them of this is what kingdom living looks like. These aren't hoops that we have to jump through in order to qualify for the kingdom because we could never qualify for the kingdom apart from the mercy of Christ. So these are not the qualifications of the kingdom. These are the realities of what kingdom living looks like in our day-to-day lives. So we're going to be in verses 10 through 12, but for context, and because I think it it benefits us to hear uh, the word more, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. As I read this morning, I remind us all, this is the word of God. We will never hear any false counsel, anything imperfect from this word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called Sons of God, and then verse 10 through 12, our focus this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And may the Lord add the blessing to the preaching of his word and write its eternal truth in our hearts this morning. In many ways, I find this final beatitude of the beatitudes, uh, it stands in stark contrast, it would seem, to the other seven that precede it. Each beatitude builds on the one before, and, um, and it has that effect of culminating now in this final beatitude. Because those who have mourned over their sin and have recognized the poverty of their spirit, they realize that, that their sin has ruined their fellowship with God and that they need Him. So they meekly confess their sins, which produces in us a humility as our appetite grows for God by faith and we hunger and thirst for his righteousness in our day-to-day lives. 
And having received from the Lord mercy, now we can be merciful to those that we encounter, which refines us and purifies us and shapes our character into his character, making us more like Christ and being more like Christ, as we heard two weeks ago, we will be peacemakers. Because after all, isn't that what Jesus came to bring? To bring peace to those who are far off from God. So it makes us peacemakers. And now in verse 10, we hear the last of the Beatitudes. And I think Jesus knew that we would probably all do a double take on on verse 10, which is why I believe, perhaps, he expanded it for two more verses so that he could say it again and make sure that we heard it. Because let's be honest, at times, this is a hard word. I don't immediately consider it a blessing when someone reviles me. Maybe you're different from me. I don't immediately consider that a blessing. When someone reviles me for the cause of being righteous in Christ's name, I don't immediately consider that a blessing. But this is what Jesus said. And so let me just read again verses 10 through 12. These are the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. He makes it more personal now. Blessed are you when others revile you. Have you been reviled recently for your righteous standing in Christ? Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this this is a heavy beatitude. I, I would submit to you, I think this is the heaviest of them all and this one causes us to really stop and think about it. Because there's mystery here, isn't there? How, how in the midst of being reviling, how, being reviled, excuse me, how, how, do we, how do we consider that blessing? I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's hard for this one to feel quite like a blessing. But there is a connection here that God makes between persecution and blessing. And I think we would do well to pay attention to the connection that he makes. You know, through the halls of history, this helps us to see how that when we are persecuted, there is attending blessing. Let me illustrate in three ways, just through the course of history. Back in Acts 5, you remember the apostles, Peter leading the charge, the apostles were charged not to preach the gospel. In fact, they brought them into prison, they beat them, and then they charged them, don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. And what does the text tell us that they do? They couldn't hold them, so they released them. And upon being released, what did the apostles and the others do? They immediately began preaching the word of God again. And in fact, they rejoiced with great joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name, it says in Acts 5. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name, the name of Jesus Christ. So... Though they were beaten, though they were threatened with their lives, they considered suffering for Jesus a pure joy. 
So they embodied this teaching. We hear, secondly, we hear the testimony, and there are so many stories that we could share, but we hear the testimony of Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband Jim was brutally killed by the very tribe of people to whom he was taking the gospel in South America. Now, while it was terribly hard for her to lose her husband, she also articulated the joy that suffering brings when that suffering is for the cause of the gospel, is for the cause of Jesus Christ. Third snapshot. When I was studying back in 2005 at the Pastors College in Maryland, I met a man from India. I will not forget this as long as I live. I met a man from India who had suffered much physical pain in his hometown in India because of his conversion to Christianity. In fact, with tears, it's almost unbelievable, with tears rolling down his face, he told us how how he was so thankful to bear the literal and physical marks of Christ. You could see on his forehead uh, a big gash. His, His head was misshapen because... The townspeople, when they learned and heard his gospel that he believed, they came after him with rocks. And they threw rocks at him so as to kill him. And God, by his sovereign grace, preserved his life. And he stood in front of us and he said to us, these marks that you see on my face, I treasure them because I was counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. That's remarkable. How does that happen? It happens when we believe what Jesus says here is true. That's how it happens. It, it happens when we, when we have a perspective that is out of this world, right? That is, that is otherworldly. It, it, it's, it happens when we have the perspective that Jesus says to his disciples, this is the perspective This is what life looks like in the kingdom. And in particular, in our verses this morning, that when you suffer for the cause of righteousness, for identifying with the name of Jesus Christ, when you suffer, when others revile you because you stand with Christ, he says, you are blessed. That's how this man could say of the marks on his face, I cherish these because these are the marks of my blessing in Christ. Now, in our world in Bucks and Montgomery counties, um, you know, physical, direct persecution like that may seem pretty far away from our experience, at least at the present time. And yet, we, we also know In many parts of the world right now this morning, there are brothers and sisters who are enduring great hardship in the midst of suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we, we as the church, would do well to remember them. We would do well to pray that God would be gracious and merciful and send his spirit in a special way to carry them along, which we know that God does. But God delights in our prayers for these folks. So... We should do that. Well, our experience may not be the experience of other people like that in other parts of the world. 
I don't think any of us can deny that there is an increasing, in our country, in our culture, there is an increasing opposition to Christianity. What Scripture teaches about many things are increasingly viewed with suspicion and scorn. Things like Jesus Christ is the only way to God. There is no other way. Things like the fact that God defines our gender at birth and that He is good and right to give that to each person. Things like humanity begins at conception and that we must not murder babies. Things like God's definition of marriage is exclusively between a man and a woman. Things like that we understand the relationship between men and women to be complementarian. And that understanding is not toxic, but God's design. And lots and lots of other issues. And that's what some in our culture, perhaps even neighbors, co-workers, are calling our Christian faith. They're calling it a lot of things. But some would call it toxic. Something to be avoided and in some sectors to be eradicated. So if you are a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, we cannot, we cannot avoid the conflicts that will come when we who are living in the kingdom of God in the here and now encounter people who don't care about Christ, in fact, who say he's a lunatic and want nothing to do with him, there will be conflict when we share our faith, right? At times, it's hard to share our faith because the essence of the gospel declares something over anyone that we share this with. It declares that we have no way to earn our salvation. There's no works that we can do. This is what we celebrated already this morning through communion, through the catechism. We celebrate it even now. There's no way that we can work our way into heaven. And we, as generally speaking, as American people, we don't like to be told that. And so our temptation at times, this is not true, dear church, our temptation at times is to shave off the hard edges of the gospel. We don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about God's judgment. We, don't, we just want to talk about love. And love certainly is at the core of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. This is our temptation though. It's hard sometimes to stand in our culture which is increasingly intolerant of the Christian faith. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm, I'm just simply saying what you know is already true. These are challenging days. Being a Christian in 2023 is harder than being a Christian was in 2013. There's a rise in the opposition to our faith. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say. He makes a global statement about anyone who wants to live a godly life. He says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, he doesn't go on to define what that persecution will look like. 
it may look different for different people in different times in different lands. But he is simply making the case that everyone who is a true disciple of Jesus Christ will encounter difficulty, will encounter resistance, will encounter a degree of persecution to their faith. So let's take a look at the reason for this persecution and then two points this morning. The reason for the persecution and secondly, the reward. The reward is so sweet. But let's talk about the persecution to start. Persecution for the sake of righteousness. Notice, again, it's very important that we see what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, why? For righteousness' sake. It's for the sake of knowing and loving Jesus Christ. That's where the persecution comes from. Uh, why is he making this clear? It's, well, it's because there is that deep and abiding tension that you will experience with people who think that Christianity is fake or false or whatever, toxic, whatever they may say. There's going to be tension. If you are living in the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God, if your principles are derived from the word of God because God has taken out the heart of stone that you once had and put in your heart a heart of flesh that beats for God, as you as you live and breathe and work and do all that you do, you are going to encounter people who think you're nuts, right? You will. And that's what he's saying. There, there will be persecution that comes because of righteousness' sake. Because you are seeking to live in such a way as Jesus lived. That you are seeking to love him and not love the world. Jesus says it so clearly. Nobody can serve two masters. Either you're going to love the one and hate the other. Or you hate the one and love the other. We can't serve God and the world. And Jesus came to bring division. He came to bring division so that it could be clear whose side we are on. There will be opposition. We will encounter it. Now, if we encounter opposition because we have been unloving, or if we encounter opposition because we've been foolish or unwise or have made poor choices, you know, that's, those things are not what he has in view here. The, the opposition, the persecution that is in view here is for the sake of your faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 11, Jesus takes time to spell out what this could look like. He said, blessed are you when others revile you. Revile you. What, what does that look like? Well, it, it's, it's, in my mind, I didn't look it up in the dictionary. In, in my mind, when you revile someone, you just, you just want to turn away. You consider them. You, you don't even want to look at them because you revile them. I, I know that some of you, even in your own family, have felt that. That reviling. Because other members of your family, perhaps extended family, think that you are crazy for your faith in Jesus Christ. He said, blessed are you when others revile you, when they utter all kinds of evil against you, when they speak falsely against you. Why? On my account. Jesus says, because of me, you are going to experience these things. It's on my account that people will revile you. Why? Because if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. This is what he says in John 15. 
He said, these are the words of Christ. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. See, love for Jesus Christ will bring both righteousness in our hearts. We will desire to live for Christ. Love for Jesus Christ will bring forth righteousness, but it will also bring forth reviling. That's what Jesus is saying. If you are truly a follower of mine, if you are loving my name and my kingdom, and if you're working and operating uh, for the kingdom, then, then people will encounter you and they will revile you because they think you're nuts. Or because of their own guilt. Sometimes when we encounter others, uh, I wonder if perhaps some of the reason why they can revile Christians is because deep down perhaps they might know that the Word of God is true, and yet they don't want to obey it. I, I think that's in play. See, love for Jesus Christ will bring forth a reviling from others. Again, not all the time. We're, we're, nobody is seeking persecution. In fact, Jesus is not trying to discourage his disciples. He's not. Because what does he say a little bit later? He's like, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your soul. So he wants to provide for their needs. He's not trying to scare anybody, nor am I this morning, but he is saying, he is saying this will happen. If you are marked by my name, you will be reviled. People will turn away from you. People will not want to be near you. If we love Christ, we'll obey his commands. That's what he said to his disciples in the upper room. The night before he was crucified, he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll, you'll do what my father has commanded and I have commanded. So we'll want to obey him. As believers, we can expect this. So um, don't be surprised, Peter says, when fiery trials come upon you because of your faith. In fact, we'll see this in a few moments, but, but when those things come, it's, it's a testimony of, to what God is doing in our midst. And so we can expect these things as believers. Let me ask this question, though. If we never, uh, if you're a believer and you never encounter any resistance, if you never encounter opposition to your faith, I think it bears asking the question, am I being faithful to my Lord? Am I walking in faith? If you, if you never encounter resistance to your faith, if you never find people say, that's crazy, I don't believe that at all, then we have to ask the question, are we speaking, are we living out the word of the Lord? Again, the point isn't that we go looking for persecution. Nobody does that. That's not the point. Rather, as we live wisely and discerningly and winsomely, we will love our neighbor and not at the expense 
of the truth. So sharing the gospel, as I mentioned, can be hard. Other things we, we, we want to just fit in. We, sometimes we just want to roll with things. We don't want to stand out so much. And, and yet if, if they treated our Lord as he spoke the truth, if they treated him with contempt, we shouldn't be surprised when others may treat us with contempt as well. And Jesus is making this clear to his disciples. What does he do a few pages later in Matthew? He sends them out. He sends them out two by two. And he says to them, hey, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So he's, he's really preparing their hearts here for the opposition that they will face. And, and we need to be reminded of that as well. In my personal reading of Scripture this week, I, I found myself in Jeremiah, in my devotions, Jeremiah 24, 25, 26. And I, I was just reading of the, the effect of Jeremiah's life and ministry on the people of Israel. So in chapter 25, God comes to, to Jeremiah and says, I have a word. I have a word and I'm, I'm commanding you to give it. And I'm going to ask you to go a certain place and give the word. And so Jeremiah, in faithfulness to the Lord, he goes to that place and he gives the word. And what's the response to the word? They say in response, these are Israelites, to the word of the Lord, they say, you're going to die, Jeremiah. We're going to kill you for speaking this word. And Jeremiah says, well, you can do to me what you want, but just know this that I was commanded by God to come and bring this word uh, to you. And, and at that point they said, oh, okay, well, I guess you can live. But we, we know the story of Jeremiah, right? He was the weeping prophet. Why? Because so often he was called by God to speak the word of the Lord. And people rejected it. They didn't want to hear it. In fact, you probably know near to the end of his life, he was thrown into a cistern to to just rot and die. We don't know exactly how Jeremiah died, but it was costly to speak in the place of Christ. It is costly in 2023 to speak the name of Christ. This is what this word has been preserved for us for. It's costly. And some of you have borne a great cost already. Some of you have not received promotions, perhaps, at work, because when your boss is here, what you actually believe, they're like, well, they may be a good worker, but we're not promoting that person because they believe that crazy stuff about Jesus Christ. Perhaps others of you have been marginalized, again, within your family, perhaps, maybe at work because of your proclamation of the hope of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this word says to us, do not be surprised when that happens. But in fact, we can rejoice. We can rejoice, which leads us now to the second point, which is a look for a few minutes. And I I pray this would be refreshing and encouraging to you, looking at the great reward that is ours. So how should believers respond when we encounter these kinds of hardships. Look at verse 12. What does Jesus say? He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Now again, this is where in my mind it's like, this seems so hard, Jesus, to to rejoice when we're being reviled. But this is the command of God. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward 
Does it say because you'll have a reward in heaven? It doesn't say that just. He says because your reward is great in heaven. We can rejoice in the midst of the hardships of people reviling us because there's another reality to come. And if all we're thinking about is in the here and now, well then, yes, we might be discouraged. But Jesus is lifting our heads up. And he's saying, hey, when you're treated that way on account of righteousness, on account of me, lift your head. Lift your head because your reward is going to be great in heaven. Now, see, there's something about suffering that... that encourages us and there's two things here to say Um, suffering for righteousness bears witness to the fact that we are his children do you realize that suffering for righteousness bears witness to the fact that we are his children how do we believe that's true well you know if you don't really believe in jesus christ if you're just kind of a marginal like hey jesus was a good man if you don't really put your whole life into this faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not born again, you're not going to be willing to suffer for something that you partially believe. When hardship comes, when difficulty arrives, uh, if, if we don't believe, we're going to say, all right, I'm out, I'm out. No, when, when suffering comes and when we endure through suffering, you know what it demonstrates? It demonstrates that we are His children, that we are part of the family of God, that we are his and so suffering demonstrates whose we are suffering also suffering for righteousness also is proof of our eternal destination it's proof because again we're not going to suffer for a lie and if we're suffering for the cause of righteousness then it is proof of our eternal destination i was reading martin lloyd jones he has the best book on the beatitudes as i've It's just the best. And I, again, commend it to you. He says this. If this happens to you, he's referring to persecution for righteousness. If this happens to you, says Christ, in effect, it is just the hallmark of the fact that you are destined for heaven. It means you have a label on. It means your ultimate destiny is fixed by thus persecuting you. The world is just telling you that you don't belong to it. That you are a man apart, that you belong to another realm, thus proving the fact that you are going to heaven. I I found that when I read that. I found that encouraging. You know, that, that when we are reviled for righteousness' sake, it's a mark of our destination that, that we're not made for this world. Our home is in another place, a celestial home. And one day we're gonna be there. And while there are challenges in the here and now, Jesus is saying, lift your head. Lift your head because your reward is great in heaven. Heaven will be so glorious that that all of the tribulations and the troubles of this life we won't be able to even remember. We won't be able to remember the, the cursings or the revilings, or the, 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 the speeches that have been made against us. We won't even be able to recall the difficulty. The reward of heaven will be so great. The sufferings for the cause of Christ 
for the sake of righteousness. They are preparing for us this eternal weight of glory. Listen to the Apostle Paul when he says this. For this light momentary affliction. He's, the context is here. He's talking about suffering. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Think about that, dear church. There's a weight of glory when you suffer insult for the cause of Christ. It's adding to the weight of glory that you will receive in heaven. The reward, the recompense will be great, Jesus says. We'll not be able to think back and say, yeah, but Lord, do you remember how I said? No, we won't be able to remember it. Listen to Paul a little bit later. He says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is going to be so amazing that we don't even have categories to think about how beautiful and amazing it's going to be. Like, you know, I don't know what you think of when you think of heaven. But the categories and the images that come to mind, they, they don't, we don't even have the ability to comprehend how glorious it's going to be. That's what he's saying. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So what Jesus is saying by ending this time of the Beatitudes this way, when he's saying rejoice and be glad, he's saying, hold on, hold on. Though it may be hard now, though you may be reviled, though you may be viewed as out of touch and unrealistic and living in your own reality, hang on because your reward in heaven will be great. We can hang on. We can have hope this morning. Elizabeth Elliot, newly married, just graduated from college, went and took her family and the families of others down to proclaim the gospel. Her husband savagely killed by the very ones he's going to preach to. How do you rejoice in a time like that? You rejoice in a time like that. By having your eyes on the prize. You rejoice in a time of suffering by putting your hope fully in Jesus. Because he says your reward will be great. So dear friends, I, I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're struggling with, with people in your life that are are. are Opposing you in the gospel, if you're struggling for the cause of the name of Christ, Jesus wants to lift your head this morning. He wants to come alongside of you and say, hey, when, when you're reviled, you are blessed. You're blessed because your reward in heaven is going to be great. Lloyd-Jones comments further. He says, we shall see him, speaking of heaven, we shall see him as he is and worship in his glorious presence our very bodies will be changed and glorified with no sickness or disease cancer 
I can't remember that. Disease. Did I have disease? Sickness. Was I sick once? We won't even be able to remember it. Our bodies will be changed. There will be no sorrow, no sighing. All tears shall be wiped away. All will be perpetual glory. No wars or rumors of wars, no separation, no unhappiness, nothing that drags a man down and makes him unhappy, not even for one second. Praise the Lord. This is our future. Praise the Lord. This is where we're headed, dear church. Can I hear a praise the Lord? Yes, it's true. Believe it. We won't even be able to remember the hardships that we encountered in this plan, in this earth. They'll be far from our minds. The glory will be perpetual glory. No unhappiness, not even for a second. So, dear church, let me wrap it up here um, with a few thoughts. As we depend on the Spirit's power, because we need the Spirit's power day by day, don't we? We need His power and His enabling. Let us, dear church, in our loving proclamation of the gospel, let us be unmoved in our love for Jesus Christ. Let us stand fast and hold fast to him even as we have the promise that he holds us fast. And let us hold fast to the gospel and declare it as the power of God unto salvation. When persecution happens, let us, like my Indian friend who gloried in the marks of Christ on his own body, let us rejoice by the grace of God and say, Lord, I may not like this. This isn't what I'm seeking. I'm not seeking persecution. I'm seeking to live for you. But when persecuted, let us rejoice because our reward is great in heaven. And let us, dear church, go forth in the power of not of the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit that we might stand fast in the winds of culture that are raging around us. And it seems like at times the very foundations of society are falling aside as we abandon God. Let us stand on the Word of God and rejoice that though trials may come, though we may be defiled, the rock of Jesus Christ will never fail. He will always hold us fast. We can stand together in his name. So would you stand with me as we prepare now our hearts to respond in song. Let me remind us again of the reward of heaven. The reward of heaven will be infinitely greater than any reward that the world could possibly offer because the reward of the world is temporal and fleeting and will not last. But the reward of heaven is infinitely great and it is eternal. And when you put your treasure, not in the comfort and ease of this world, but when we put our treasure in Jesus Christ and we find our treasure in heaven, it will be true of us just like Jim Elliot said that he is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Eternal weight of glory reserved for God's people. No eye has seen, no ear imagined the glory that awaits for those who are in Christ. Lord, this morning, this is one thing to hear and for me to preach a sermon like this. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do it. And so now, Lord, as we together look to you, as, as you lift our head this morning up to heaven and to the reward, you, you don't hold back from motivating us by reward. In fact, you motivate us very much by reward. We, we turn our eyes not to the things of the earth, but we turn our eyes to you and to heaven. And we consider what awaits those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. And Lord, we take hope. We have courage this morning. Because though we don't know all that lie ahead, we do know that you will be faithful, that you will carry us along, and that our eternal home will be full of glorious delight. So help us to keep this in mind in the day-to-day as we live for you and as we encounter and share the love of Jesus Christ in this world. This we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.